Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Acts, chapter 16, and verse 11. Acts 16, 11 for our message from the Word of God this morning. Acts 16, 11 is located on page 1171. And today's date is December 25th, 2022. So if you're watching this video years from now, it's Christmas Day here at Faith Bible Church. And that's why I'm wearing my tie with the three wise guys on it. There you go. Our text is going to be in Acts 16, verses 11 through 15, where we're going to be having a dispensational Christmas message. And the title of this morning's message is... The Apostle Paul goes straight. The Apostle Paul goes straight. And we begin with the story of a man who was riding in the car with his neighbor one day when suddenly she drove straight through a red light. And the man cried out, What do you think you're doing? We could have all been killed. And his neighbor said, Relax. My brother runs red lights all the time, and nothing ever happens to him. Then she went straight through another red light. He was starting to get Pretty nervous. But then he saw a green light coming, and he was able to calm down a little bit. But when they got to the green light, his neighbor stopped. And he said, well, what are you doing now? The light is green. And she said, I know, but my brother might be coming. <laughs> might be coming. Well, speaking of going straight through things, things other than traffic lights, here in Acts chapter 16, God has just given the Apostle Paul a vision of a man begging him to come and preach the gospel in Macedonia, on the very tip of Europe there. And in verse 11, we see Paul head straight through a couple of towns to get to Macedonia as quickly as he possibly could. Now, he got that vision in verses 9 and 10, when he was in the city of Troas. So in verse 11, it says, Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came 
with a straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis. Now, what you're seeing Paul do here is a terrific example for all of us. God told him what to do and therefore he put himself on a straight course to do it. If you like to make New Year's resolutions, make one to start doing that. Because I got to tell you, most of the miserable messes I've ever made in my life came when I didn't do what God tells us to do in his word when he told me to do it. But now, in verse 11, Samothracia was an island, still is, <laughs> right off the coast of Macedonia. And Neapolis was a city on the mainland coast of Macedonia. And Neapolis was actually a suburb of a bigger Macedonian city, a city called Philippi. And that explains why it says in verse 12 in your Bible that from thence, from Neapolis, Paul and his company went to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Now, if the city of Philippi sounds familiar, it's because Paul wrote one of his 13 epistles to the church in Philippi. And that means that we're about to see just exactly how that church got started. But first, when it says that Paul has decided to go to the chief city of that part of Macedonia, that tells you that Paul's been doing what we talked about last Sunday. He's been examining his methods in the ministry to see if he could improve on them. Because before that, He'd been going from one podunk town to the next podunk town to preach the gospel. And he was never going to get the gospel to the whole world doing it that way. So after God sent him to Macedonia, he finally wised up and went straight to not just where God sent him in Macedonia, he made the decision to go straight to the chief city of that part of Macedonia. He finally realized that if he targeted big cities and established churches in those big cities, that the gospel would then radiate out from those big cities to all the podunk towns in the world, right? 
So if you know the book of Acts, you know that later on in our study of Acts, we're going to see that when Paul left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was the biggest city in all of Macedonia. And from there, he went to Corinth, the busiest seaport probably in the world. And from there, he went to Athens, the biggest city in Greece. And listen, his plan of targeting big cities must have worked because what? Eventually, the gospel did reach all the world, right? Aren't you glad it reached you? (laughs) But now, when verse 11 says that Philippi was a colony, we can't be absolutely sure of what that meant because that's the only time that word appears in the Bible. So... We can't define it by comparing Scripture with Scripture like God tells us to do. But history says that Rome would designate certain cities as official Roman colonies. And the people who lived in those cities were automatically citizens of the Roman Empire. And if that's true, That would explain why Paul picked the Philippians to talk about being citizens of heaven in Philippians 3.20, where Paul says, our conversation is in heaven. I know newer Bibles use the word citizenship for conversation there, but they really shouldn't, because... The Greek text from which we have our English uh, New Testament, the Greek text has a different word for citizenship. The word conversation has to do with our behavior. And Paul was talking to the Philippians about how they weren't behaving as citizens of heaven. Two of the ladies in the church were quarreling, and you see that in Philippians 4.2, where Paul has to say to them, I beseech Yodius, and I beseech Syntyche, and they are feminine names, that's how we know they are ladies, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. It seems obvious from that verse that Those two ladies weren't being of the same mind in the Lord. And if you study this epistle closely, you'll see evidences that everybody in the church was taking sides with one or the other of those two ladies. So much so that Paul had to tell them in Philippians 1.27, Let your conversation, your behavior, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. It's not very becoming for Christians to argue. So Paul says, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that I may hear that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind. 
striving together for the faith of the gospel instead of striving with each other. Because that is no way to act if you're a citizen of heaven, folks. It really wasn't even a good way to act if you were a citizen of Rome. Because Rome was big on keeping the peace. And if they thought you were guilty of disturbing the peace, (laughs) they came down on you like a ton of bricks. They'd uh, arrest you and then they'd ask questions later. (laughs) And you know that because that's what they did to the Apostle Paul in your next reference in Acts 21, 27 through 33. The Jews stirred up all the people and they took Paul and as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, the Roman captain of the guard, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Who, chief captain, immediately took soldiers and centurions and took Paul and commanded him to be bound with two chains and then demanded who he was and what he had done. They chained him and then they asked him what he did, but only after they had restored order in Jerusalem. You see, folks, Roman soldiers didn't give a hoot about who was right and who was wrong. All they cared about was keeping the peace. So, Paul picked the Philippians to explain that when you disturb the peace in a local church, God doesn't care who's right, and he doesn't care who's wrong. He just wants the peace to be restored. Now, the difference is, God doesn't come down on us like a ton of bricks. Under grace, he begs us to restore order like he begged Yodius and Sintiki. So, when somebody wrongs you, God expects you to forgive them and bury the hatchet, like we used to say. And I don't mean bury it in his back. You know, and I don't mean bury it with the handle sticking out so you can grab it later and bury it in his back later. Folks, one of the reasons people mock Christianity is because at this time of year, we sing about how Christ came to bring peace on earth. And 2,000 years later, there is no peace on earth. So they conclude from that that Christianity is a miserable failure. Even a lot of Christians wonder about singing peace on earth because they don't know what you know as a grace believer. You know that Jesus Christ someday will bring peace on earth in the kingdom of heaven on earth. But in the meantime, folks, We can show the world peace on earth in our churches. Now you think about that. The next time somebody wrongs you, 
or slights you a little bit in church. You can retaliate if you want to, but do you know what Paul told those saints in Philippi who were quarreling? The next reference, he told them in Philippians 2, 2 8, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In other words, Paul reminded those bickering believers of what the Lord did when those unsaved religious leaders in Israel started to wrong him when they arrested him. When they did that, he could have told them that he was right about being their king and they were wrong. Instead, when Peter tried to save him with the sword, the Lord said, Put that thing away. And then he said in Matthew 26, 53, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he'll presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Folks, when those Jews went to wrong the Lord Jesus Christ, he could have called in the cavalry and wiped them all out. And he had every right to refuse to die. Because, what does it say in Romans 6.23? The wages of sin is death, and he was no sinner. So he had every right to refuse to die and to insist on his right to live. But he waived his right. Well, can't you do that too? When somebody wrongs you, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And wave your right to prove your right and that other knothead is wrong. It's what you have to do. If you want to show the world the only peace on earth that we can show them in this dispensation. Peace amongst ourselves in our churches. Now that's a dispensational Christmas message. But there's more. <laughs> Speaking of waiving your rights, the Philippians waive some rights that Paul didn't even ask them to waive. You see, history also says that citizens of Roman colonies were exempt from having to pay taxes to Rome. And that's something I think we can prove from Scripture uh, because of what happened in your next reference when the Jewish tax collectors asked Peter a question in Matthew 17, 24-26. They asked Peter, does your master pay tribute? That's the word to pay your taxes in Israel. Now, Peter didn't know the answer to that question. 
So he's going to go ask the Lord about it. But in the meantime, he says, yeah. <laughs> but then, he, when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him. In other words, he prevented him from asking him a question by asking him a question. He prevented him saying, well, what do you think, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? And Peter saith unto him, strangers. And Jesus said to him, well, then are the children free. Now, what he was pointing out there was that kings like the king of Rome didn't tax their own people. They taxed the people they conquered. <laughs> the king's people, they got off scot-free. And his point was, he was the king of Israel. So he and his children, his disciples, should have been free from having to pay tribute, tax tribute, to Israel. But what did the Lord tell Peter in the very next verse? In Matthew 17, verse 27, he said, Peter, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, cast a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take that and give it to the tax collectors for me and for thee. Now what that tells me is that I need a new fishing hole. <laughs> because I got to tell you, I have never found so much as a nickel in a fish's mouth, let alone enough to pay my taxes. But you know what it also tells me? It also tells me that the Lord had a right not to pay taxes to Israel, but once again, he waived his rights. He waived his right for the sake of all those Jews who didn't know he was their king. And here's the thing. Here's the point. The Philippians... They weren't just exempt from paying Rome's taxes. They were exempt from paying Israel's taxes too because what do we call Israel's taxes? They were called tithes. Under the law, Jews had to pay 10% of their income to Israel. That, was the, that wasn't their offerings. That was their tithe. That was their tax for the privilege of living in what we call a theocracy, a, a government governed by God. But as members of the body of Christ, the Philippians weren't under the law of the tithe. So they were exempt from having to tithe as you and I are today. But do you know what the Philippians did when they found out about that? They waived their right not to have to tithe, and they gave the Lord's work more than 10%. They helped the Apostle Paul so much that Paul 
use them as an example to the Corinthians. Because the Corinthians were a wealthy church that didn't help Paul at all. So he told them in your next reference in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 4, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. We want, let me tell you about the grace of God that was bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us, begging us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. In other words, they, they waived their right not to have to tithe and gave the Lord's work more than 10%. They gave beyond their power to give. And Paul didn't want to take their money because he knew they couldn't afford to give it. But once they found out how much God had done for them in Jesus Christ, they, they begged him to take more. I got good news for you. Grace has touched your heart like it did theirs. You can wave your right not to have tithe too. <laughs> and you certainly should if you were as wealthy and as comfortable as the as the Corinthians. I mean, if I had their money, I'd throw my money away. Read those. You study that out, and you'll see they were a wealthy assembly. Do you know who else Paul uses as an example? For the Corinthians, he went on to tell those same Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Do you have any idea how rich the Lord was before he became a man? Before he came to earth. He, he could point to any star in the heavens and say, Mine! That's my star. You know how poor he became when he became a man? We just read that verse where Paul told the Philippians that he, he took upon himself the form of a servant. And folks, a servant can't point to anything and say, Mine. Because everything a servant owns is owned by his master. So in other words, the Lord went from owning everything to owning nothing when he was born in that barn. And here's the kicker. He didn't have to do that. When Adam sinned and doomed the human race, he could have just looked down from heaven and said, nuts to you guys, I'm staying up here. But he waived his right for our sake. And did you notice what Paul called, what he called it when, when the Lord did that? He said, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He called it grace because that's what grace does. Grace does 
what it doesn't have to do. Grace does more than it has to do. And grace believers should too. And not just in the area of your finances, in every area of life. So while all the people in the world around you are constantly clamoring, we want our rights, and insisting on getting what's coming to them, you just remember that if you got what's coming to you, you have eternal death. Instead, Jesus Christ got what's coming to you and died your death on the cross. And now, under grace, you have every right to respond to that tremendous, unspeakable gift by not living for the Lord. You can do that if you want. You can get saved and never give God Almighty another thought. You can do that under grace. Or you can waive that right. And you can decide you're going to live for him to thank him for saving you from eternal death. If you want to give somebody a Christmas present today, give the Lord Jesus Christ the gift of your life. Because that's what he wants more than anything Alright, it's time to move on to see how this church got started in Philippi. Verse 13 says, And on the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, Paul says, We, him and Silas, uh, Timothy and Silas, we went out, and Luke, who was doing them, we went out of that city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and we spake unto the women which resorted thither. Now, we're going to see in a minute that the Philippian church was an outgrowth of this women's Bible study. And we know these women were Jewish because, hey, they're meeting on the Sabbath day, right? And we assume that the church that grew out of this women's Bible study was mostly a church of women because it was uh, Paul cites the example of the two women who were quarreling and uh, women don't quarrel any more than men despite what you men think you know back when I was a teenager and just learning to preach I'd come here once a month and preach but there was a, a church in Oglesby Illinois about a hundred miles west of here of most of all women mostly almost all women the women even sometimes had to do the preaching because they couldn't find men that wanted to come and do it and there was only so much they could take of me so <laughs> but now if you know Paul's MO his modus operandi which means what method of operation you know that usually when Paul first got to town he didn't go down by the riverside where did he go instead City. where City. synagogue he made a beeline for the local synagogue so how come he didn't do that here 
Well, I think it has something to do with Philippi being a colony. History says that colonies were known as little Romes, little cities of Rome. And in your next reference, in Acts 18.2, it says Claudius, the emperor, had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. So I think the reason Paul didn't go to the Philippian synagogue was because there was no synagogue to go to. Because all the Jewish men hightailed it out of town. But the Jewish women started this prayer group up. It was meeting outside of town, so Claudius couldn't catch him meeting inside of one of his little rooms there. So if Paul was going to stay true to his policy that we see him doing throughout the book of Acts of going to the Jew first, he was going to have to crash this women's prayer meeting, right? And when he did, he noticed one lady who was really paying attention. And we read about her back in your Bible in verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, she heard us, whose heart the Lord opened and he attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Now, Lydia was obviously a businesswoman. She sold clothes made of purple. Raise your hand if you were like me and had purple pants in the 70s. Anybody? Yeah, Paul, yeah. Paul admits to it anyway, the rest of you, you know. I got a picture of me somewhere I'll dig up one of these days wearing the purple pants. Well, in Bible days, the dye for purple uh, was awfully hard to find or make or whatever, and so purple clothes were very expensive. And you only found them on rich men, like the rich man you read about in Luke 16, 19, where the Lord said a certain rich man was clothed in what? Purple. And fine linen. And purple was also associated with with royalty, they could afford it. In Judges 8.26, it talks about purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian. So, with purple being such a pricey item, <laughs> it's not surprising there in four, verse 14 to see that this lady had, had moved to Philippi all the way over from uh, Thyatira, which was in Asia. She moved there so she could sell it to the wealthy and royal people in Philippi. And personally, I think that this shows God didn't have a problem with women being involved in working outside the home in addition to being a mom. And by the way, we know she was a mom because later on in this passage, it talks about her household. And think it through. If she was a Jewish mom who kept the Sabbath, she probably tried to keep all of God's rules, right? And that means God must not have had a rule against 
being a working mom. But if you look at verse 14 there, you can tell that she was an unsaved Jew. Because it says the Lord had to open her heart. Now this is, this is one of those verses that people use to say that God picks who he wants to be saved. You can be saved, you can be saved, but not you, and no, certainly not you. I mean, you know. And then he opens the hearts of the people he picked. And he doesn't open the hearts of the people he doesn't pick. But listen, folks, that is not how it works. God didn't open their hearts by using some kind of spiritual jaws of life. <laughs> Did you ever see one of those, those hydraulic jacks that firemen use to pry open the cars after an accident if they can't get the passengers out? That is not what God did here. God did not use the jaws of eternal life to open Lydia's heart. He opened it by his word. You see, the heart, the heart is the place where men understand the gospel. As you see when Isaiah 60, 61.10, oh, is it 6.10? Yeah, 6.10. Uh, when it talks about people who needed to understand with their heart and convert. Go home and do a little word study with your Bible program on your computer, and you'll see that the words heart and understanding are used together in the same verse 31 times. And the way that God opens a heart to understand the gospel is by opening their understanding of God's word. Like you see in your next reference. The Lord did it for the those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, 45 says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand what? The scriptures. That's how the Lord opened Lydia's heart, folks. And he didn't do it against her will. Verse 14 says that he did it because she attended to the things that he said. And that word means to pay attention. You attend to the words. It says in Proverbs 4, verses 1 and 20, Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. My son, attend to my words. Kids should attend to the words of their father if they want to be saved from a lot of misery in life. But men have to attend to the word of God if they want to be saved from the misery of hell, the eternal misery. Of course, in Bible days, men had to do more than just attend to God's word to be saved. They had to do what Lydia did in the last verse of our text in verse 15. Verse 15 says, When Lydia was baptized and her household, her kids, she besought us, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, saying, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And 
She constrained us, begged us to do that. In Bible days, people had to be baptized to be saved from their sins. That's what baptism was for, right? What, what does Mark 1, 4 say? John did preach the baptism of repentance for, what was baptism for? For the remission of sins. But there's been a dispensational change since that time, and today men don't have to be baptized to be saved. And that is a change that came with the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He's the one who said in Titus 3.5 that salvation is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and not by the washing of water baptism. But now, if all that's true, and it is, how come Paul's baptizing Lydia here? Well, the answer to that question is God revealed this new program of grace alone without any works like water baptism. He revealed that to Paul gradually, right? Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 12, 1, when he says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Folks, he wrote that 27 years after he got saved. 27 years after God started teaching him, Paul says, God's still got some things he needs to teach me. And that means here in Acts 16, Paul didn't yet know what he knew when he wrote 1 Corinthians 1.17, your next reference. I sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, before Paul, you couldn't preach the gospel without baptizing people because baptism was part of the gospel. It was believe and be baptized if you wanted to be saved. But eventually, Paul learned that it wasn't anymore. And after that, he didn't baptize anybody. But now, in verse 15 there, how could Paul judge her faithful? I mean, what had she done that would make Paul look at her and say, yeah, she's faithful to the Lord? Well, it doesn't say, but I think it was when she believed the grace message after years of worshiping God under the law. Because listen, (laughs) by that time, Paul had seen plenty of unsaved Jews like her who worshiped God under the law like her, who rejected the grace message when he presented it to them. So when she accepted it, he was able to look at her and judge her to be faithful to the Lord, the Lord she was claiming to worship. But if he judged her to be faithful to the Lord, how come verse 15 says that she had to constrain him to stay with her? I mean... Why would she have to twist Paul's arm to get him to stay with her in her house? We know it wasn't because he was thinking it wouldn't look right for him to stay with with a woman because even though she didn't seem to have a husband, she had kids. And he had Luke and Timothy and Silas with him. So it's not like they were going to be alone at any time. 
So I think it wasn't because Paul was afraid of how it would look to the neighbors. I think she had to constrain him because he was afraid of how it would look to the Romans. You see, folks, Paul was a Jew, right? And Jews weren't allowed in cities that were called little Romes. Now, somehow, Lydia, she'd been flying under the government's radar, right? But if she got caught harboring three more Jews, she'd have been in more trouble than if they just caught her, right? So she, she had to constrain Paul to stay with her because he didn't want to put her in danger by harboring three Jews. Do you know what? If she was willing to take the risk, Paul was willing to let her serve the Lord by helping him. And I got to tell you, it took me a long time to get to where I would let people serve the Lord by helping me financially. Because I knew that unless they were rich as the Corinthians, it would put their finances in danger. But, Oscar, if it's something you need to remember if you're going to be in the ministry, you got to let people serve the Lord by helping you. I'm sure Paul would have felt better about putting the life of a, of a Jewish man in danger, but all the men got out of Dodge. So it's not like Paul had a lot of choices here. And when pastors have no other choice, we have to let people serve the Lord by letting them help us, no matter what it might cost them. By the way, this, this isn't the first time that women in the Bible showed more courage than men. Do you remember what the men did when they came to arrest the Lord? Matthew 26, 56 says, All the disciples forsook him and fled. But you know who didn't forsake him? Forsook him. Forsook him and flee? <laughs> in the very next chapter of Matthew, after his menfolk forsook him and fled, what does it say in your last reference there? Many women were there, still there, beholding afar off, which followed the Lord from Galilee, ministering unto him. Now they couldn't keep ministering to him, but they were still there. So anytime you hear anybody say that the, the Bible puts down women, you just put them on the pay-no-mind list. Because they're showing that they haven't read the Bible very much. Go home, and, go home and Google the question. Was the Apostle Paul, did the Apostle Paul hate women? And if you Google that question... You'll see what I saw, that over two million sites pop up. And a lot of those sites, they're run by people trying, atheists and other people, trying to discredit the Bible by saying it puts down women. 
Christians who don't honor women, folks, they got a lot more in common with the God of the Muslims than they got with the God of the Bible. You want a religion that puts down women, phone up to Christianity, folks. If you're glad that a woman bore your Savior, say amen. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for our Savior. The story of the Lord's birth is a story of faithfulness. He faithfully came after you and the Holy Spirit outlined the plan of our redemption. He came to execute it. Mary was faithful when she heard that she'd have to give birth out of, you know, a child conceived out of wedlock. She was faithful. She was willing to undergo the disgrace and the the innuendos that followed the Lord the rest of his life. When years later, the Jews said, well, we're not born of fornication like some people we know. Joseph was faithful when the angel explained to him what had happened. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the birth and the death and the resurrection of our Savior. And we ask that we too might be as faithful and thank him for all that he's done for us with the faithful service of our lives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.